And it's evident of the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people and the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us so that we can go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Give him praise for that. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us who believe. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What does the power of the resurrection mean to you? We're in a series of messages about what the resurrection means to us as believers. Today, David continues this series in a message called The Doctrine of the Resurrection. There are doctrines of the faith that are very important for us to understand. Um, We've been looking over the last several weeks at the doctrine of the resurrection and what it means practically for us. Romans 8.11 says that those of us who believe in Jesus, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead, now lives in us. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. The power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in those of us who believe. And then as you look at Acts, the first chapter in verses 6 through 11 that Marilyn just read, in the 40 days after the, res- the cross, Jesus had 11 different resurrection appearances noted in the Bible. There may have been well more. And after 40 days, then he began a promise that he would go and come back again. And we see in the text how the disciples said, well, is now the time you're going to restore Israel to its Davidic power? When King David was the king over Israel some You know, 900 years earlier, Israel had reached the zenith of its success, and there was a promise that there would be one, a Messiah, who would come and restore the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples thought that kingdom would be an earthly kingdom where David would be restored as the king, and the Romans would be eradicated, and they would have freedom to live again. But of course, Jesus said, only the Father knows the day or the hour when that's going to happen, and you're thinking in an earthly kingdom form, not in terms of a heavenly kingdom. And then he said, I'm going to go to heaven, and there's going to come a power upon you that will allow you to be my witnesses, first of all in Jerusalem, then the next concentric circle outward in Judea, then the next concentric circle outward to Samaria, then to the uttermost ends of the earth, but that power from heaven's going to come upon you. And then he started ascending into heaven with a cloud. And it wasn't a cloud like we see outside today on a very cloudy day like today. What what we had happened then was a cloud from heaven that always descended whenever the Father himself was present. It was a cloud that would shroud the glory of God because if any of us in our human sinfulness would come into the direct presence of the Father, we'd die. Uh, So this cloud came from heaven and lifted Jesus up, and the disciples are gawking, going, wow. And two angels said to them, why are you guys looking up into heaven? For this one who ascended to heaven will one day come in a cloud and return, and he will then restore the kingdom of God and make this earth the way that it's supposed to be. Aren't you looking forward to that day, folks, when that second coming occurs? Now, you see in these verses, interestingly, three... Uh, doctrines that all fit together. There's the doctrine of the resurrection. Then there's the doctrine of the ascension. Jesus ascends to heaven, and we see in other places in the Bible where there was basically a victory parade in heaven. When he won the battle over sin, death, and the devil, there was a victory parade after he ascended to heaven, and basically Satan was made a spectacle of. You need to know Satan has no power over you if you believe in Jesus. If Satan appeared right now in front of all of us, you know what we all should say to him? Oh, is that just you? Because he's a creature. 
God is the creator and the God of the universe through Jesus now lives in the hearts of those of us who believe. So you have the ascension where Jesus is crowned and now sits on his throne and then the next movement is the Holy Spirit comes from him to the church on a day called Pentecost. Interestingly, in the church universal, today is Pentecost Sunday. And it's evident of the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people and the power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us so that we can go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Give him praise for that. Now, today I want to centralize our thoughts on the ascension. You know, you know what happened in that moment when Jesus is lifted up into the cloud, he goes to heaven, victory parade, then he sits down on a throne. And what the ascension means is enthronement. Say that with me. The ascension means enthronement. It means that Jesus is on the throne, ruling over all of his world and all of his people. Now, Marilyn also read Ephesians 2.6, which is a remarkable verse. Jesus is not only enthroned on his throne in heaven, but that says that those of us who believe right now in a spiritual, invisible sense, we are sitting along with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, ruling over the world with him. Now think about that. Jesus is enthroned, and we're at his right hand, enthroned with him, ruling over all the world. And then Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is regularly making intercession, that means praying for those people who believe in him. Now, now here's what I want you to do. Get this picture in your mind. It is so cool. If you get it, you'll never be the same. Jesus is sitting on his throne in eternity, ruling over all the world. We're right next to him at his right hand, ruling over all the world. He has his hand in our hand and is asking us all the time, what do you need? As Elise said from John 15, ask whatever you will in my name and it'll be given to you. What do you need? What, what's your heart's desire? What do you want? So Jesus is ruling over the world we're right there with him, enthroned with him, and he's holding our hands regularly, daily, by the minute, praying for us, interceding for us, seeking the Father for us. Think about that. That's the meaning of the ascension. Not only that he's enthroned, he's enthroned with us, and he is regularly interceding for our regular need. Here's the truth. The tomb is empty. You do know that, don't you? The tomb is empty, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. So that we can look in that empty tomb and say, he is risen, and know it confidently. So the tomb is empty, but the throne in heaven is not. Say it with me. The tomb is empty, but the throne in heaven is not. That throne is occupied, and Jesus sits on it, and we're right there with him, and he's regularly praying for every single one of our needs. Now, why is that important? It's important because every single one of us has storms in our lives, don't we? Every single one of us has fires in our lives, don't we? 
How many of you have experienced storms and fires in your life? Would the rest of you be honest, please? <laughs> Within the last week? Uh, yeah, maybe today. There are storms and fires that come to all of us. That was my message last week, remember? There's no promise from Jesus you're not going to have to go through storms and fires. If you live in this world in its brokenness among broken people who betray you and hurt you, you're going to go through difficult times. So here's the question. How will you go through those times? Last week, I gave you two options. Remember, you can either be a victim, you can wallow in your bitterness, you can continue to look back, you can continue to be angry, you can let those people who hurt you once continue to hurt you for the rest of your life. Or you can be a victor. You can say, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. He sits on his throne in heaven, rules over everything. I rule over heaven with him in eternity. And somehow he's using those storms and those fires for my good and for his glory. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me, especially when I'm right in the middle of it, right? But the promise is that God is good. And if he sits on his throne and rules with us over all eternity, he's using everything in life, especially the storms and especially the fires for our good and his glory. Now, let me give you two biblical examples that speak to this. The first one has to do with the apostle Paul. Now, that word apostle, again, means one of the disciples, one of the ones Jesus chose to go out and not only spread his gospel, but write the New Testament. Paul was one of those. But before Christ, he was the major persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He was a Jew. He believed that righteousness from God had to be earned. It was by your works. And he and other Pharisees believed that with all of their hearts. And when he saw Christians preaching, it's not by your works, but it's by the grace of Jesus that you're saved and you have a relationship with him, he was horribly offended. He began a movement as one of the leaders of the Pharisaic party to crucify Christians. And we don't know how many he actually killed, some have estimated a dozen plus. Others have said maybe into the hundreds. But we know he had a widespread desire to kill every Christian he could in Jerusalem, Damascus, all over. Well, one day he's on the road to Damascus, and he has a vision from the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus asked him, Paul, Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? And Paul came to understand that it's not by our works, but only by the grace of God that we're saved. He came to understand that the wrath of the Father was poured out on his Son, not on us, because he loves us so much, and salvation only can be achieved by grace through faith, only can be achieved by Jesus' righteousness, not of our own, and his life was dramatically transformed, just like many of ours, isn't it? When he came to understand the true understanding of grace, our lives have been wrecked. They've never been the same, have they? And for those of you who don't know that grace today and know that the Father poured out his wrath on the Son, know it today before you leave this place, please. It will never be the same when you realize that you know you're loved by your daddy in heaven and his love will get you through the most difficult storms and fires possible. He will. So Paul received that grace and went from the major persecutor of the church to the major proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. He then went into a period of learning, and then after that he went into present-day Turkey, and he spread the gospel in what's an area called Galatia. Uh, Galatia isn't a city. The book of Galatians in the New Testament is an area where there were many different churches like Derby and Lystra, and Paul went and proclaimed the gospel there and planted churches. 
He knew what I'm going through right now, planting churches with the love of Jesus being the central focal point of those churches. And then he came back to Jerusalem, and what did he get? Congratulations, way to go, Paul. No, the Jews there hated him. They arrested him and threw him into prison. He was in prison in Caesarea for a couple of years until finally he played a trump card that he had. He was a citizen of Rome. He'd been born in Tarsus as a citizen of Rome. And he played that card and said, I'm appealing to Caesar for why I was arrested. He wanted to be set free. He wanted to proclaim the gospel. So he is placed on a ship with other prisoners and a granary ship, if you will, to go along the Mediterranean coast, then upward finally to Rome where he would have an audience with the king over all the Roman Empire, again, because he was a Roman citizen. Well, as they reached the last leg of the journey, they hit the open seas to go to Rome, and suddenly a storm came out of nowhere. It's found in Acts 25 through 28. It's a storm above all other storms. It's furious. It blows the ship from Rome toward an island 600 miles away called Malta. And before they get to Malta, they're throwing all the grain over the side. They're throwing everything that's weighing the ship down overboard, and nothing's helping. And Paul, in the middle of the storm, stands up and says, hey, everybody, be of good cheer. I mean, is this guy wacko or what? Is he a maniac? No, because he knows that Jesus is sitting on his throne holding Paul's hand and ruling with him over all eternity, and he believes that Jesus is interceding for him. So he said, be of good cheer. Celebrate the moment. God's in control. He's working it for good. Be of good cheer. And what the sailors do, they just kept trying to find an answer until finally the boat hit a sandbar off the island of Malta, the sailors and the prisoners swam ashore. They're exhausted after two weeks of fighting the huge storm. Two weeks being taken 600 miles off course. The natives came out and greeted them and built a big fire to warm them, and Paul sitting around the fire, I'm sure telling people about Jesus. And what happens, a viper, a snake, jumps out of nowhere and latches onto Paul's arm. The people go, this must be punishment for Paul's sin. Any of you ever been there? When something bad happens to you, where do you go? I must be being punished by God because of my sin. It's not good, sound Christian theology. I mean, God's working everything for good, even the storms, even the bad stuff. And so what does Paul do? Paul shakes off the snake. He shakes it off. And he keeps teaching. You know, too many of us, when we have snakes bite, not literally, but figuratively, and latch on to us and cause us to feel desperate and hopeless, what do we do? We sit there and nurse the snake. Good snake, nice snake, good snake. You know, and what does God want us to do? He doesn't want us to keep that snake on our arms. He wants us to shake the snake. He wants us to shake the snake and get rid of it. And that's what Paul does. It falls into the fire, and the people keep waiting for him to swell up and die. And guess what? He doesn't. It doesn't happen. 
Jesus protects him. That's what Mark 16 means when some of you read that and it says, you can go out and snakes will bite you and they'll not harm you. You can drink poison, it will not harm you. That's what it's talking about. Not that we should have snakes around to bite us to prove faith or that we should drink poison to prove faith. It just says, if it happens, God's greater than the snake. Shake off the snake. God is greater than the poison. Believe in him. So people saw that happen and they said, you know what? The leader of our community needs to hear about this. So he hears about it and his dad is really sick. They ask Paul to go pray for the leader of Malta's dad. He does. And guess what happens? The dad gets well. He's healed in the name of Jesus. Well, guess what happens then? Everybody on the island of Malta who's sick wants to be prayed for by Paul. Can you imagine? I would too. So they start coming in droves. And the scripture tells us that every single person on the island who was sick, who got prayed for by Paul, was made well. And guess what happened, folks? The whole island came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. The whole island did. Now, here's the point. Paul thought God's goal was Rome, to go speak to Caesar. God's goal for Paul was Malta. Why? If you go to Malta today, 2,000 years later, every year they celebrate the Feast of St. Paul. Every year, every person on that island practically loves Jesus. Every person is a committed believer 2,000 years later. Why? Because the storm blew the ship off course. And, and you're sitting there going, man, God's blown my ship way off course. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's blown my ship off course. I thought I had my life figured out. He blew my ship off course. And I'm thinking, why, Lord? Because God had a better plan. He had something else he wanted to do. I was thinking this. God was thinking that. God, Paul was thinking Rome. God was thinking Malta. And would Paul trust God as he blew Paul off course and took him to Malta where 2,000 years later, practically every person on the island loves Jesus. That's what God wants us to realize today. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. 
With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, David, you called this morning's e-devotion, Going to Church Doesn't Make You a Christian. Are are we opening a can of worms for our (laughs) Christian radio audience? Well, only if you don't allow me to complete the phrase. Okay. Okay. Here's the second part. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than living in a garage makes you an automobile. Wow. Okay. The point being that just going to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, you must be born again. He didn't suggest it. He said, you've got to be born again. You've got to have a spiritual rebirth in your heart to know that you have been crucified with Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have a new relationship with God through Jesus. And again, it's not about rules and regulations. Even going to church on a weekly basis, basis, Christianity is about following Jesus with this new birth, his new life in a relationship in your heart with him. Now, I'm not saying that going to church isn't important Mm -hmm. because Jesus loves his bride. Jesus died to give the church life. Mm -hmm. That's something we need to realize. There's an old hymn of the faith that begins with, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood, he bought her and for her life, he died. Mm. So Jesus died to give the church life. To say to me, for example, David, I like you. I just don't like your wife of 43 years, Marilyn. Mm. That's impossible. You can't like me and not like or love the person I love most in this world, my beloved Marilyn. Mm. We're inseparably unionized together. The same is true with the church. Jesus loves his church. He wants his people to go to church. But if people reduce the faith to just going to church, they're no better than the people who lived in Israel, for example, in Isaiah 58, where the prophet Isaiah from God says to them, I'm tired of all of your ritualism, Mm -hmm. just going through the motions, even your prayers, your sacrifices, they weary me. Your true expression of faith would be to go serve the poor and the needy. If you would just go do that, your own depression would lift like the noonday sun. Mm -hmm. The same is being said to us today. Yes, if we love Jesus and have been born again, we'll go to church. But going to church doesn't make us a follower of Jesus Mm -hmm. any more than living in a garage makes us an automobile. But when we do love the Lord, we do go to church with the ultimate desire to then express ourselves by giving our lives away, especially to the poor and the needy who surround us. That is really, really good. And I'm thinking of the verse in the New Testament. You know where it is. I know you do, but don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Yeah, it's in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. It's Mm -hmm. a command and we need to come together. In the pandemic, when we couldn't come together, that was one of my real problems with the government intrusion into our lives. We had to 
obey God, not man, and come together in worship. But on the other hand, we want to be careful to say that not just going to church makes me a Christian. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got to believe that's an expression of our faith. It's not what makes our faith. I like that so much. That's so deep and rooted um, in a personal relationship with Jesus. Thank exactly. you so much, well, David. thank you, Jen. And we need to love one another, encourage one another, come together with one another, but we need also to know Jesus intimately. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know Jesus intimately, please give your life to him. That's what's most important. We want that to be the most essential part of this radio program and also to receive these written daily Moments of Hope. You can get them via momentsofhopechurch.org. I'd love to share them with you free of charge. Thank you for listening today. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for students as they return to school. 